0: everybody that's joining welcome to the anniversary edition it's not actually anniversary to the day but it's close enough the last last year we started in march and i'm sure you wouldn't have known that it wasn't actually an anniversary edition if i didn't just tell you right now so (laughs) we're calling it the anniversary edition vishnu david and i are on here to talk about everything that we've learned over the year and how we can put it into practice how they've put it into practice and i think we can start just because there's a lot of stuff that i want to cover obviously you can see that we have been talking to each other about wearing crazy costumes and vishnu opted out of it (laughs) (laughs) but the the way that i wanted to start was I wanted to since it is like a year in review and a year anniversary, I wanted to just start by like giving big shout out to first of all everybody that is in here in these meetups because this is like the lifeblood of the community. These meetups are how we started, and so I want to give a big shout out to everyone who's been in the meetups in the past, and if you're in it right now, thank you. It's huge, I mean can't tell you how much it means to all of us also want to just like let everyone know in slack on if you're watching this in on youtube in the future if you're watching or listening to this on podcast land like this is huge for us we never thought it was going to last a year or more and i think that we didn't realize what we were getting ourselves into when it first started So huge shout out to everyone. Obviously like huge shout out to Yvonne who is leading the engineering labs. He is doing an incredible job with that. Like we cannot thank him enough. Everyone who has actually been in the engineering labs and done that, I don't even care if your team didn't finish last uh, last time. That is huge. Like that you're taking part in the engineering labs. That's absolutely amazing. To Charlie Yu, who's leading the Reading Group initiative, that's another huge one. Anybody who's doing anything with the Reading Group, that is incredible to see. To the Office Hours, anybody who comes and just chats with me in Office Hours, that's another great initiative. There's so many cool things that we've got going on right now. Uh, All of the people that are helping with the website remodeling and facelift that is huge like thank you for your patience with that i know the whole frameworks trying to figure out this space is very taxing and difficult and we've probably tried um, a few times to get it right and we've had to scrap everything so cheers to everyone i'm in europe right now so i'm i'm going to be drinking a beer this first first of many uh of this year we could say Uh, And so the last but not least, I'm going to, well, no, I will thank a few other people before we start and then the commercial or the the time is done. I will thank all of the people in Slack that are doing incredible stuff. Like we've got Laszlo, who is absolutely awesome. We've got (laughs) Ariel, who is the meme king. I think we need to give him a a medal or something for all his memes we've got the the incredible people in slack that are answering the questions that everyone has so thank you all for being part of this community and then i will happily announce that we've managed to lock down a few sponsors so big thanks to all of the sponsors for keeping the community going if anyone wants to know where the money goes uh besides right into my pocket no that's not where it goes i'm not taking any of the money from the sponsors we're funneling it back into things like the initiatives like the engineering labs or getting the website redone so that's huge the sponsors are in case you didn't know we've got fiddler ai as a sponsor we've got algorithmia as a sponsor and Tecton as a sponsor so Big thank you to those three so far. And we're open in case anybody else wants to sponsor us, let us know. And last but not least, you two that are on this call with me, Vishnu and David, I probably talked to you guys way too much. We are always going back and forth without you. I don't know where we would be. So thank you all for letting this happen. This has been awesome. Now that's out of the way, the big, long thank you. But I think it's good to give thanks every once in a while. And
1: yeah, for sure. I think that that was, yeah, I I, I, I just for what it's worth, I want to echo all of what Demetrius has said. Um, We're powered by you guys. We're powered by the community and you guys make it awesome. I love being a part of this. And it's super exciting to see how far we've come in just a year. Uh, I'm very excited for the future
0: all right so cheers to everyone that is what we've got what i've realized is vishnu and david you guys are on here all the time but there's probably a lot of people that have no clue what you do and (laughs) what your day-to-day is like and they might not even know where you work or if you're a data scientist or a machine learning engineer so david can you start us off and tell us what exactly you do and uh give us a bit of background
1: yeah yeah so start with what I do in my uh, my day-to-day work as a machine learning engineer uh, currently working on a machine learning infrastructure team so a little bit more low level not much model development anymore but I have experience with that I have worked as a data scientist developing the models developing the features but now I'm focused on the tooling I'm focused on process more higher level things and uh I also um, help out with the community. Me and Dimitrios have been uh, working together to just try to make things better. And um, right now we're working on a lot of educational content, uh, coming up with new series for the podcast, getting other guests, um, and really trying to make this space a little bit easier to navigate. That's really one of our big goals is uh, to help this, uh, help it a little bit, to help it be a little bit easier to onboard. Uh, what is MLOps? What the hell, what, how does that relate to my day-to-day? Uh, who needs to know about that? These are the sort of questions that I'm we're interested in answering and making a little bit uh, more accessible to people that are maybe not as technical. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a little bit about me. I love to code. Um, I love designing stuff. I love building stuff. Um, and I love working on hard problems. Uh, the harder the better, the more challenging, the more rewarding it is for me. Mm. And I love people. I love interacting with all of you guys. Uh, if anyone has reached out to me. Um, yeah, I'm usually, you know, I try to get back to you as, as much as I can. And uh, I just, yeah, I'm, I love meeting people and hearing what they're dealing with. And that's one of the biggest benefits of the community is being able to hear about you guys in production, like what's going on in production? What are the, what are your concerns? What are your challenges? And that has been uh, tremendously helpful to inform my own day-to-day work uh, dealing with production services. And so, yeah, I've I've also learned a lot from this community.
0: All right, Mr. Vishnu, what do you do, man? Are you a machine learning engineer?
2: Uh, I'm not sure, no, I'm just kidding. Um, Yes, so I am, uh, machine learning uh, engineer machine learning infrastructure engineer now actually at test health um and uh, actually I, I do a lot of similar things to what, what what david does so um what we're building is like an affordable portable eye imaging device and so i think a lot about um process tooling deployment everything that goes into building models that work for on device and cloud use cases to help make our sort of mission of diagnosing eye disease um, possible. And it's it's been fun. Uh, you know, we're a small company and I feel like I have had the role of trying to figure out what does machine learning mean to the product, but also what does MLOps look like? What does good process look like for the development of our machine learning uh, models? And uh, this community has really helped me figure out how to do my job better. And I hope that as we grow and, you know, we're at 3,500 people now, which is crazy. I joined last March. I remember last last March or April being on some of the first meetups um, and realizing, like, wow, this is this is what I needed, and I want more people to experience that. And so, to that end, I, I kind of played kind of sort of an operations role um, with 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 uh, the whole the whole community, and uh, excited to meet more of you.
0: Yes, and I do not know where we would be without you. We would we would be spinning our wheels a lot more, because those who don't know vishnu behind the scenes He is very organized and he knows exactly how to do things in the right order and the proper way of doing it the processes the operations so thank you for being there too man it's really useful now let's go over some high level points that you all have had like what are some big takeaways that you that stick out right from the get-go like, what's something off the top of your head that you're like, ooh, this is a really, really good point that I want to make sure to highlight. You, wanna, you want me to take that, Vishnu? Yeah,
1: why
2: don't you yeah. start?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think the first thing that pops in my mind is having a place where I can learn. So... One of the biggest takeaways from the community has been all the articles that I get introduced to, all the blog posts, books, mm-hmm. videos, tutorials, um, and most importantly, the conversations that could ha- that, ha- that are uh, that are had. Like uh, if you look at the MLOps questions answer channel, that has been tremendously helpful, um, even though I may not be dealing with all of those challenges, or maybe I have. Just still hearing them from other people has been tremendously valuable, um, in in enabling me to better communicate the challenges that I'm facing. Um, also, communicate with stakeholders to just have like a point of reference to what other people are dealing with. I know me and Vishnu have talked about this, you know, like for a while. It's like, what the hell do other MLEs do at other companies? Like, what are they doing? What are what are they up to? Uh, and then like hearing other people, it's like, yeah, we're doing all the same stuff, you know, maybe a different scale, different domains. Um, But a lot of us are dealing with the same challenges and that's like one of the first things that I'll say is it's a great place to learn if you want to, and and I think that's important because there's a lot of noise there's a lot of content out there. uh, But having something that someone has read or they find relevant to something that they're dealing with you usually get that in the community people like hey like check this out. Um, And I find those those like that curation from the community itself, uh, to be one of the biggest takeaways it's like you have a place to go and read a bunch of new stuff there's all people are always sharing uh articles or something to read so you know as as an engin- engineer i'm constantly learning there's always new things and uh that can be really hard to keep up with and doing that on my own for a while was a bit challenging you know i'm like i'm reading all these books and i'm like okay it's it's relevant but it could be more focused and when you have someone that you know literally is writing a book or a course on something specific um it just makes a world of a difference and if also people are dealing with some of those same challenges you again you have you can hear what they're dealing with so yeah that's the first thing man just all the great resources that come from the community
0: that's a huge point about the noise that is in this space right now to like valuable information and so i think if it gets to the community generally it's like passed through a filter of that noise so that's a huge point. What about you, Vishnu? Anything that strikes you from the off the top of your head? Any learnings maybe as opposed to just a, uh, this could be a MLOps community testimonial video, the way that we've been going about it this first 15 100%. minutes.
2: No, I think there's two specific things, right? Number one, it's that MLOps is as much a pre- people problem as it is a technology problem, right? I think when I came into this community, I think I kind of was like, Am I using TensorFlow right? Am I using the tools right? Like, am I doing things right? And it's not just about what tools you use. It's about how you solve the problems that you need to with the people that you work with. That's really what MLOps is about. And you see it all the time in that MLOps questions answer uh, channel, right? It's like, we have this team composition. These are their skill sets. How do we put machine learning into production in that context? Like, that's what we're all focused on. It's not you know, it's, this is a p- component of the job, right? How does Kubeflow work? How do all these platforms, like, what's this? How do we solve this bug? But I think it was an important mental shift for me to realize that it's not just a set of technical insights. It's really a people problem that has to be a people driven, that has to have a people driven solution, you know? Um, I think that's been really useful for me to help drive ML Ops adoption at my company. Uh, the second thing I'd say is this is something that, you know, you and I, Demetrius um, had in conversation with Todd Underwood. Um, the director of MLSRE at Google. And I think something that came out of the conversation was like, he basically was like, we're at Google and, and you know I think a lot of people look to us to say, oh, okay, this is how to do MLOps. But the reality is we learn from other people just as much as you might learn from us. And the summary there was like this is a industry and a space and a field where everybody is creating the knowledge together. Nobody has it figured out. Nobody will figure it out in the next five years. Right. And so that opportunity, that greens, that sort of greenfield opportunity to figure things out, share it with others and, and have that constant learning. I've been really en- energized by it. I think it's been, it's been, it's been great to have that um, have that learning as well, you know, because I think again, it's this is just as much as it's a technical set of things to know. It's also like a a field to really understand, right? The fundamental things that you need to understand. And and that's been a big lesson for me.
1: Yeah. So well said, man. It also reminded me of something that I think D Scully mentioned, right? What's different now from when he wrote that original paper is community. Like now there's like people talking about this stuff now and community does drive innovation, right? It drives the progress of this field. And yeah, like I ha- like I think it, it, you phrase it as i it energized me that's that's a that's a great way to say it like it, it was like dude, this is exciting. there's all this cool stuff going on and uh, yeah, it just felt cool but also important and relevant. and I think that for a bit it felt like the important things were not sexy, like infrastructure or process. but now those are the sexy things, you know like yeah like process like let's make let's make things better uh, but yeah it it, it
0: it uh it made some of those things more exciting so what else do we got i think there's something that i wanted to touch on which was the idea of starting small and then iterating on top of that i know that neil lathea talked about that and we've had we've had so many people come on here and talk about it it's like one thing that is interesting is you see patterns like we have these really smart people on and they say the same things and one of these patterns is and i think david you pointed this out to me it's like start small and then iterate on that just get something out and we know vishnu and i have been working on trying to get this website out and you have to continuously just get that into my head although this is not a data product this is not an ml tool it's like dude just start small let's just go with the smallest chunk that we can right now and let's so let's talk for a minute about why that's hard in machine learning. Why is it hard to just start small? Because it's not quite like the software development cycle. Yeah, I think that's a good question. I, I wasn't
1: even thinking about why it is that way. I, I just mm-hmm. want to, I guess, echo what you said about the importance of starting someplace small and, and someplace that is really informed by the, the needs of your users, something that's really informed by the, where you are at, what's feasible, I think what comes to mind is we had a session discussing building a feature store with a few different guests and a lot of them got back to like what am i actually trying to do like what what it, what do i need to do and i love that because i think you know we ML mlops ai there's a lot of hype and i think that could contribute to kind of what you're getting at where it just you know why why is it so hard to start small maybe because you feel like you need to have everything automated uh, maybe you feel the need to use the latest or the largest models when maybe you just need a simple logistic regression. Uh, it could be a, a mixture of those things that I think kind of pressure uh, organizations to feel like they need to do more when in reality, and this is what I've know, I've, I've definitely learned from being working in production is that it's what works. It's not what's fanciest. It's not. It's like what what gets the job done. Mm-hmm. Engineers are very practical, and I love that. It's very concrete. It's not like all this fancy stuff. I don't. I just I need it to work. And then. Once we know that that does work, whether it's monitoring and evaluating it in production, then let's improve that. But I think that's really important. It's something I get back to, in, my, in just how, when I'm starting new projects, I'm thinking about designing something. Uh, I need to start small. What's like a simple single-node architecture? Okay, then. Once we have that what would it look like scaling out what's a distributed architecture look like versus like oh distributed uh, from the jump uh, um, let's add every tool in the feature in, in the space i want a feature store i want a model deployment tool i want to i want like 20 different tools that can you know i feel like that that that, that could happen easily uh, you feel you read one of these papers or these articles you see all these tools and you feel like all right we need we're, we're not doing that we need to do that when in fact you may have a lot of good processes in place good things in place usually around the data uh, that could give you some a, a larger return on what you're trying to do versus like some of these other things that are really important but maybe more applicable to other people at different stages you know uh, something i'm sorry that to go on about this but another point i'm thinking about is when we went, went over the ml ops uh sorry the the continuous training paper with google um you know these different levels of maturity like yeah. i, I want to iterate and i i want to you know, reiterate this, that it's okay to be at level zero. And in fact, I would argue that if you have that well, and you can create a lot of value, there's maybe not a need to do, to automate everything. Um, And so it's just going back to that. Maybe there's a little bit of pressure that's informing the design decisions um and I, I really i just want to bring it up now as it's it's been encouraging to to hear start simple because that's i can do that i can start there like I, that's something that i can actually work towards versus you need all this that and the third and it's just like it's overwhelming um, Some... it, it is encouraging and more approachable to start small
0: yeah dude something that blew me away was when we talked with uh, i think it was like three weeks ago and i talked with daniel stahl and he's he totes and actually a lot of people on linkedin really are like they give him a lot of credit because at regions bank he's been able to get every data product out into production and one thing that was fascinating for me was that he didn't have any special ml ops tools that he was using right like there was nothing when i asked him about his stack it wasn't any tool that you're like, oh, that's like the new MLOps tool that just got X amount of funding. He just had normal stuff that you would have as a software engineer. He made it work. And so that's a a really fascinating point. Like, yeah, just get what works. And then if you really want to start going and building on top of it, and I know Vishnu, we talked with Noah Gift remember that and he echoed the same point like if you're trying to have the bulk of your business if that is really centered around the machine learning product then you don't want to go and do experiments with that you want to make sure it works right and correct me if i'm wrong do you remember exactly what he was saying about that
2: A 100 percent. yeah yeah no so basically what you're saying is um you know, as an ex CTO, his experience was a lot of times it's sexy to adopt the latest technology, to say you're conforming to the newest protocols, etc. He talked about Erlang, which was a language that he had, you know, invested a lot in learning and and, and 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 building a team around. And then quickly it became very difficult for him to hire a team. It became quickly difficult for him to scale. It became difficult because the knowledge was so specialized, right? And and it fell out of favor. And yeah, sometimes you know, architecting with the fundamental tools concepts in mind can really uh enable you to grow better in the long run even though it can be seem sexier to say oh well you know we're using the best thing uh that's hot right now we're using the hottest thing right now i thought that was great and it was a really powerful story to hear him him say like if i could go back i wouldn't have done the erlang thing i would have stuck to you know more conventional languages
0: yeah Um, there's there's also well I keep wanting to say this and then I get distracted by the conversation but if anyone wants to like this is the anniversary session and you all are as much of a part of the community as Come we on are in. ask your questions yeah guys. if anyone wants to share a story or ask questions jump in or just raise your hand at any point or put it in the chat uh let's yeah start the conversation keep the conversation going in the chat and we're just going to be a bunch of talking heads up here, but we, the platform is open. So come on in. Now, the other thing that I wanted to mention, since I got that little um, public service announcement out of the way, is when we talked with Luigi. And mm-hmm. Luigi was talking about this idea of, which goes in the start small and then iterate on it. And he really talked about, he, he mentioned start small and iterate, but then he also said, I don't automate anything until I know I can do it manually, until I've done it manually various times, and it doesn't break. And that to me was also fascinating because it's very easy to jump to automating something, right? And just be like, oh, well, let's automate it. But you can get yourself into trouble doing that. And like, I don't know if you guys have any experience trying to do that or ha- have been burnt by automating something too early or if you're purposefully not automating something at this point i will say that like i think donald nuts
1: am sir from pronouncing his name he said you know over optimization is like the root of all evil I was he's saying, right
2: <laughs> same thing david this is we're on the what same, we
1: we we're the same cool. bro we're same. I mean, we're even doing the same work now. It's like, bro. Uh, but no, uh, I, I, I think he got it right. Uh, it's like a tendency. We're builders. So engineers and scientists, it's like a natural tendency to like over optimize. It's like we can't help ourselves. <laughs> uh, I've definitely been bit by that in my own work. Uh, I can't think of any like particular war stories, but it's definitely happened where I was over optimizing, or I tried. I wrote all this, all this logic, all this structure, and I actually didn't even need any of it later. That's definitely happened to me. Um, um, yeah, there's probably all sorts of stories. I'll, I'll keep thinking about them as they come up, but yeah, Vishnu.
2: Um, yeah. I mean, in terms of automation, uh, you know, I can't say a specific war story comes to mind in, in for, for our company, but, you know, I think overall, when you talk to the people who have d- demonstrated a reputation like Luigi for, for thinking about um, MLOps and, and kind of being at the forefront and, and delivering results, right? Wherever he's been, um, you, I am struck by their thoughtful approach to what they're doing, right? They're always thinking, you know, as, as David said, what am I really trying to do here? And I think what you'll find oftentimes is they'll take all these inputs in But they're not saying just because someone else did something i'm going to do it too they're saying this is what works for me you know this is what works in this context and i think that is something that i have really tried to to learn from you know uh, from people like luigi todd um you know even jet uh you know jet basrawi who we talked to right it's it's taking that thoughtful approach to your work in machine learning, I think is really, really crucial because I think this is is something that we talked about with Charlie Yu with, right? But like machine learning engineering is is such an intersectional sort of field. There are all these different challenges that pop up, data management, model development, training infrastructure, deployment, software integrations, right? All these things are basically kind of the catch all or encapsulated in the catch-all of machine learning engineering. And so having that thoughtful approach um, and, and learning from people as they've been doing it has really, really, it's something I try and do and apply to my own work.
1: Such a, yeah, we have a, that's, that's great. We have a question from the the, the chat. Um, it says, what's your opinion about keeping your tech stack open but not bumping into steep learning curves of the many, many tools available? That's a great question. Dude, um, man. for anyone that's out there using kubernetes or kubeflow that's the question i ask myself all the time like um (laughs) how do we you know but no seriously it's that's a good question um how you know keeping your your tech stack open i think that's something that you need to think of at an organizational level because one thing that i have seen especially with smaller companies is if you leave everyone kind of up to their own devices to to figure out what works best for them then you have this problem where everyone has their diy infrastructure and one of the things that we did at Benevolent uh, with starting the machine learning infrastructure team was to standardize that, to make things easier so that a data scientist doesn't have to worry about some of these concerns. They can just focus on what they do best. So there is some, you know, some, some challenges there because what may work for a software engineer, like if I, I love Kubernetes, I love using Docker, that, that's my world, but someone else who doesn't, now all the tools that exist on top of that In in many ways, form a barrier to entry because that's what you need to know to understand these things. Just actually, I'm dealing with this now, actually, as I'm coming up with a a demo to explain to my users how they can use our endpoint creation service. So that we use KF serving under the hood. And there's all these concepts you need to know to understand what an endpoint is. You need to know a little bit about networking. Then if you're thinking about just the tool itself, there's KF serving, there's Istio, there's Knative, there's Kubernetes, there's all these things that to really understand something, you would have to know. And I find that really challenging. And sometimes I'm like, it would be easier to just have like a managed tool. But then at the other time, I also understand the benefits of building your own things in-house, uh, developing a team around those tools. But then you run into this issue, like you mentioned, that things change. I don't have a good answer to that, to be honest. As, as I'm thinking about it, so I apologize if I went on that rant. But uh, I, I, I agree with you that this is like a good question. Something I am thinking about myself: uh, how do we, how do we keep that open? We don't want to be like we don't want to be so attached to a specific tool, right? Like that's not really what we, we do. Like we build stuff, but it's really about the the value that ML brings, not what tool we're using, whether it's Kubernetes or you know something managed. It really shouldn't uh, make too much of a difference. But it is, yeah. I don't know, Vishnu, Dimitrios. I would love to hear what you guys think about that.
2: I think I think from my perspective. I think about it kind of just on documentation and communication, right? If I'm adopting a tool, does it have that level of ramp up that I can offload it to, the, to that documentation to help others? Or am I gonna be invested enough in this tool to create it myself, right? Um, I really believe in the power of the written word, power of written communication and engineering in particular, because a lot of times what happens in engineering is our minds get clouded by jargon. Right. We're caught up in talking about Kubernetes, KF, what, 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 all these different tools, all these different things that we lose sight of what it is we're actually trying to do. And we lose sight of what the core issues are. Right. And so we I try and encourage in our company a, a real culture of trying to write a lot of things down. I'm like infamous for my long emails. Right. Because it's better than a meeting. It's better than just saying it, you know, into the into the air, you know, and it also it it it, 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 it lets people ramp up. Right. Because you can go back and say, read this document you know, read this thing to understand what I was thinking then. Um, and so, you know, I guess the way that I would evaluate it is, is to the to the, to the the questioner, right? Tech stack ramp up versus like, or tech stack open versus ramp up is like, how is all of that content that you want your, you know, new person that's coming in and ramping up, how do you want them to consume it? Is it something you've created or is it something that the vendor has created? And if the vendor has created, is it good? right? I, that's how I evaluate things. Because uh, you can really tell a lot about the maturity of a tool from the quality of its documentation.
1: Yeah, it's a great point, right? Like the it, How effectively they can communicate that um, is a big part of it. And yeah, I, I agree with that, man. I think engineers need to write a little bit more, more code comments, more documentation, more doc strings. It just makes everything easier. <laughs> and I think we have that habit of like, oh, I, if I know it, they get it too, you know? It's like, right. they, they don't, I, and, and it's like we, it's sometimes it's annoying to have to you know I do I do this all the time I'm an over explainer, uh, but I would rather be like that than have the situation where I'm I'm assuming that everyone knows those things um, and I find more often than not they don't, so it, it is really valuable to to anyways like have that someplace sorry red meech you if you're gonna say something.
0: No, now everybody in the community can understand why nothing with the website gets done because Vishnu writing long-ass emails yeah. and David in the meetings over-explaining everything. <laughs>
1: yeah, so Ward, shout out to that. Yeah, we're definitely, you're not alone in that choice. Uh, that's something I'm, I'm, I'm definitely thinking about um, as it is a challenge. We have another question. Um, we have, what material would you give newbies to learn the basics? That's the first one. And the second follow-up is, do you have a cheat sheet for starting a new ML project about what questions? Just why don't one of you guys take that, start that off?
0: There's a really good resource that Larissa had. I put it in one of the newsletters. It was like the, I'll try and find it while, while we're on this call. It's like the design platform. Uh, what was the name? I'll figure it out and I will... I will find it. Yeah, thanks Karsten. He put in it's in the Awesome ML Ops. It's not that though. It is like a uh, canvas. It's the, there it is. Read you're thank you. Nice. Here. Uh, you just sent Read, you just sent that to only the panelists though. So, uh, can you send it to panelists and Yeah, it's uh there we go. The canvas.
1: w o w n yeah Machine learning canvas.
0: Exactly. That is really useful when it comes to scoping it out uh i think there are great questions in there that you need to ask it was borrowed from something that i can't remember exactly what they like Is the business stole it here. from over here and recycled it and the questions that you need to ask and the kind of the problems that you're defining are really useful in that at least i find it
2: yeah uh, um i think what helped me in my journey uh, of the ML ops, uh, yeah, it's exactly like the lean canvas. Basically, it's like you know, it's modeled up this 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 business model of canvas. Lean canvas is like a very familiar format, you know, from a lot of different things. That's just been cross applied to machine learning, um, which is great. I think what has helped me has been, um, you know, I do recommend everyone read that paper, machine learning, the high interest credit, you know, credit card of, of, of technical debt. That paper really helped me. Um, you know, I think reading some of the Uber content, I think reading some of Google's tutorials about MLOps, Um, I haven't necessarily read that Microsoft stuff, but I've heard there's some great stuff there. That really helped me. Um, and I think you know, those are probably the initial things that I would recommend. Um, yeah, I think I'd start. I'd start with those, and then uh, uh, you know, Larissa's is uh, awesome. ML ops. If you want anything more, but I would also, you know, kind of say like, um, kind of try and figure out what ML ops means to you, you know, and what it means, what what it is you're trying to learn, <laughs> you know, because it's like it's like you know how a lot of people come into the machine learning field, and they're like, okay, I want to learn machine learning. Like, there's a lot there, right? There's all these different algorithms. There's there's a lot of data science component to it and statistics. There's a lot there. It's the same thing with machine ML Ops, right? Like, what is it you're really trying to learn? I think for me, what got me into the field actually, and this is a topic that we talk a lot lot about in in, in the community is like, how do you do development right with Jupyter Notebooks? turns out for me, that was like a, you know, it ended up being like kind of like a machine learning ops question, right? Um, And so I would start with that and let find a natural gateway in the context of your problem. Don't just go out and say, I'm going to learn ML Ops because you're always going to feel like you're not really progressing the same way like if you just say oh i'm going to learn machine learning and you start by just opening up page 1 of introduction to statistical learning like you won't really feel like you're getting anywhere so that's Great. kind of my advice also
0: there's one from uh adri who came on the meetup and he's doing production productize uh dot .ml i just threw the link into the chat Very nice And what I liked about his approach is that he is attacking it from the different angles of the stakeholders, right? Like what each stakeholder wants when it comes to a data product. And I thought that was pretty creative way of trying to go about it. The other thing is like, there's the full stack deep learning course, which is legendary. That's another one that is like, oh, you just put it in, but you only put it for the
2: panelists. You got to put it for panelists and attendees. Oh, my bad, my bad. I'm doing it. Right so, I'm actually helping out with the with the course notes for this one, uh, kind of like as a sort of like an informal TA kind of thing. And I will say that they are doing a great job in the spring 21, 2021 class. Like a lot of very current stuff. Sergey and Josh are both like great experts. I would, to anyone who who wants to do a course, I would highly recommend this one. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's, it's one, it's legendary. And Josh was just on here like, a uh, week and a half ago or two weeks ago so that that's that we got another question coming through let's see Ooh, what tools or features do you feel are mi- missing from currently available mlops tooling uh i'll let you guys go and then I'll yeah yeah a that's shot.
1: a good question i recently read there was a data engineering bulletin that someone i think neil shared with us that had um <clears throat> one of the papers was around data validation and, and pipelines or something along, I forget exactly what the title was, but they, there's a, a a tool called ease.ml that has like a series of tools associated with it, um, some around continuous integration, some around other components. But what I really liked about these tools, ease.ml for anyone that's looking, um, is their tools that are looking to apply data science and machine learning with within the machine learning pipeline so for example when how can you um evaluate what's feasible for a model like uh, is it feasible to achieve a recall of 80 percent in this domain or is that something that from flat out is just not possible Um, And these are data science, but also production questions, because if the question is, how do you decide that in an automated way, there's nothing out there about that right now. And I think that that's where some of the exciting research is going to be in uh, MLOps is around New tools that apply advanced methods. So, for example, uh, advanced methods to detect uh, drift detection, right? So, using unsupervised learning, and maybe there's some package or some service that you can plug into the ecosystems of uh, ecosystems of to- ecosystem of tools that enable more advanced monitoring, more advanced decision making. Um, I think uh, you know, th- moving in that direction is going to be a big benefit, and closely related to that. Is they have tools that try to evaluate the relationship between the data that go the data and the model. I think there's we focus on the model a lot of the time, but actually, I think some of the greatest insights that I've had have been around the basics of data. Um, I always go back to data. What is data? What is what are databases? Uh, and, and going back to that has actually really helped me navigate um, some of the challenges that we have. A lot of the times, they they go back to data challenges. Uh, you know, I'm just something that comes off the top of my head, like. How do you deal with uh, when you have transactions in a, in a concurrent sort of situation? Like how do you how do you address those challenges? And these are things that have already been discussed. It's just now within the context of machine learning, I think they're maybe heightened in complexity because now you have this other component now um, that could be it. But I think yeah, there's going to be some exciting tools around. Um, intelligently monitoring and automating the MLOps pipeline. So I'm not talking about a feature store. I'm not talking about like a monitoring tool. I'm talking tools within that, that augment that and are more advanced. The closest thing I could think of is ease.ml. So if you have no idea what the hell I'm talking about, (laughs) Google uh, ease.ml and they have some cool, you could see what the types of tools that they're developing. I think in that direction is where I think I would like to see some um, some more advancement and more maturity.
2: Yeah. Great question. I will give the first thought I'll say is Sarah Catanzaro who we had on last week for the coffee session, said this very well, which is the relationship between unstructured data and structured data and machine learning is really difficult um, to to handle in the current MLOps process. Um, So, you know, if you have an image and you have some information on that in the table, like how does that all get associated the right way? How do you know how that's going into the model? And then how do you keep that sort of relationship uh, tightly coupled? um and as somebody that works on images i think that the tooling around image sort of stuff could be a lot better um you know so i i feel like a lot of times like when i look at things people are kind of like oh we don't support images yet but you know we'll get there i'm like okay fine uh i, be, I bet you will but you know i think that's something that i'd like the other thing i'll say is like mm. you know um related to that point of like data management and unstructured data and structured data um you know, models, machine learning models are a combination of data and code, right? They are data at a point in time and they're code at a point in time. That sort of versioning workflow and, and how that, um, the models of interaction around that and the abstractions around that, I think, I think, I just feel intuitively we'll see that improve, you know? Um, and I think this is where I have actually been impressed by the Replicate project. They are figuring out with Keepsake and COG, how to think differently about the entire notion of a model as an asset and developing a set of tools around that. Um, The other, the final thing I'll say is like, um, you know, this is a kind of comparison, it's a loose comparison I use, but if DevOps is where software engineering meets IT and information technology resources, MLOps is where software engineering meets machine learning and ML resources and whatever all that means, right? And so I kind of use that mental model and I think a lot about, um, you know, where DevOps tooling is now to understand where MLOps tooling can be in the future. And one thing, you know, what has really revolutionized DevOps is this notion of like infrastructure as code, right? You can just like, you know, AWS has these things like CDK and stuff like that, that really just feel like magic where you just put things into like, easily usable formats and, and, and that spins up something in the, in the cloud that, you know, does exactly what you need it to. And then it's easily replicable and usable and, 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 and has all those benefits. What if machine learning models are like that someday, right? What if, you know, we can just really, um, what if we approach a layer of abstraction to the point where models um, and the ability to create models, I think auto ML is kind of getting there, right? Where it's just, it's just really data context and you have a domain expert that says, okay, you know, this is the problem I want to solve. These are the options that I can configure things into. Um, and then boom, it's a model that that's in production and has some sort of metrics and monitoring and everything layered on top of it, right? All of that kind of encapsulated. Um, you know, I think Todd Underwood kind of spoke to this as well. Uh, the idea that most of what we debate in machine learning is really just what, where the different boxes are <laughs> and where we configured things differently, you know? So I think those are kind of my my three perspectives on where I think the current tooling is kind of lacking. It's images, um, the sort of like model as code notion, uh, and then just model interactions, I guess.
0: Damn, Vishnu, I was not prepared for that insight. I'm not gonna lie, that was really nicely put. <laughs> I was gonna make a I'll joke. Be my head, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that was that's cool. I like that, and I know that you were i know you were pretty inspired after we talked with sarah and i had to try and tell you not to start your own startup don't do (laughs) it don't create an ml ops tool but who knows hopefully you will someday or something along those lines what i wanted to say about david was i think in the channel on the community like the bad startup ideas we had somebody that was making a joke like using machine learning, monitoring tools to monitor my machine learning. And that's kind of what your, your idea sounded like.
1: Yeah. Or, or it doesn't have to be machine learning. It could be just some statistical method, which some people could argue is what machine learning is just statistics. But I, I, I think that that actually wouldn't help. Uh, But I, I, I also agree with, I don't know if a, an ML model, um, like there's, then you have to provide data for that. And then you have all the challenges for that. So it's a little bit, uh, it's like you're passing on the problem to something else and then you have another problem there. I I, I wasn't really thinking about that, more so around just um, more, more ways where quality can be evaluated and i think asking the question of what is good quality in machine learning is a very difficult question to answer what is a good model what is good data it depends and i think that tools that can help answer those questions and give you more certainty around the quality of of your pipeline is what i'm referring to and usually what i'm seeing is statistical methods being applied to evaluate that because By looking at just a bunch of numbers, I mean, I guess you could eyeball it, but realistically, when you have a lot of log data or if you have a lot of output that's being monitored, you need a way to sift through that. Yeah, I guess you need another method or some sort of, uh, you know, tool to do that, but it doesn't have to be anything crazy. It could be just comparing two distributions. And again, I'm not, I don't wanna get into the particulars of that. What I, what I wanna focus on is tools to help validate the quality of my ML pipeline. And I think that that's a very difficult question um, to answer a lot of the time. Um, it's, it, always, it usually is, it depends. Um, and I don't know if it's possible to have something that could generalize across yep, all domains and all say. modeling problems and all data problems. Um, maybe not, um, but I, it's still something worth researching. Um, And I think that's kind of what I was also trying to get at is that I think we need more research in MLOps like just like how other industries and other disciplines advance by exploring the unknown things that could be potentially useless and dumb. We need that like math a lot of stuff in math is like that right like we don't know that this thing is actually going to be useful until later. Um, And I don't know how to find the right balance between that in like as a practitioner on a team like how do you research and grow. But I think there is some room for that. There should be maybe MLOP researchers, people that are looking to advance or push that. Uh, and whether that's the software, the hardware or process, it's just innovating in this space is what I'm referring
2: to. I think that's, that's a great point, um, David. I really like what you said, tools to help validate the pipeline. And the question that you posed about the challenge of generalization, huge. And I will say, you said, what's quality in machine learning? And a different way to refer to quality is robustness right and this is where a lot of really interesting papers have kind of been coming out but what i've been struck by is actually the really impressive author lists on these papers which shows how fundamental and crucial an issue is right like the paper under specification poses a challenge in machine learning systems right 59 author lists basically just saying um it's really hard to validate whether we're doing this right or not we don't know if the test you know the train test distributions that we're sampling in all these different domains are well specified enough to be confident in the model's performance right it is a very fundamental question that that and i think that that's i think that's i think the tooling around there and the lack thereof is, is, is a huge point
0: all right fellas we got a little bit of time left and i wanted to get to this idea of being the translator or having a common language for all stakeholders and how difficult it is. We've talked a lot about how MLOps is a people problem, how it's an organizational problem, how difficult it is. And what kind of takeaways have you had over the last year on how to communicate for these data products?
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll start. I don't have a great answer to this. All I will say is that it, it's been coming up more and more. I hear the word MLOps in meetings, I hear it in uh okr planning i hear it's it's something that now more and more people are bringing up and i think that's new um in and of itself um not a lot of people are aware of mlop still it's still kind of it's a new it's a new you know word uh it's also defined differently by a lot of different people um and i think that i'm i get that but even just the the this idea of something a little bit different from DevOps for machine learning is like useful because they realize that there's other challenges here that we need to think about that I may not be aware of in my experience as working on product and some software product that now I should be aware of now that I'm I'm, I'm working on that and I think that's what I mean by finding a common language is by using bringing up MLOps and uh, things that could be answered by MLOps or things that could be addressed by MLOps is useful to have a starting point to focus the conversation versus it could be anything from you know all these other disciplines and so I, that's just what I wanted to say about that I brought that up because I thought that it it's it's something that I've noticed has been coming up more and more and so it's becoming more common and the challenges around that are also becoming more common like a lot of people uh, are aware that the uh, that your the distribution of your uh, of your out uh, your models like your predictions can change over time and that's something you want to be uh, aware of that's something you want to monitor same thing with what goes into your model like these are things that aren't really devops concerns um these are that's not something that you'll see in, in, in a traditional software product so bringing that up and knowing that that's actually an mlops problem is useful to communicate amongst stakeholders
2: Yeah, that's a great point. I love the way that you wrap that up, that that something is actually an MLOps problem um, to all the people that are involved. I think for me, you know, at my company, we have, um, you know, as a hardware product that's in the medical industry, you can imagine that there are a lot of different teams. You know, we have optics, we have regulatory, clinical, firmware, software, cloud, right? So all these different elements um, that really do end up individually each touching the ML um, delivery. And I think what has been very useful for me as a translator is to clarify to each person the role that they play in the development of the ultimate machine learning product, right? And the machine learning process, right? Like something I have made clear to our optics group is I need you guys to give me good data. <laughs> I cannot compensate for good data, bad data, nothing. Nothing can compensate for bad data. And I'm willing to be your thought partner in thinking about how I can help you increase the quality of your data, put in place the process, do whatever it takes to help me get good data, right? But helping people understand their role in the machine learning in production process, I think is so crucial to being that translator effectively. Uh, and the more you can do that, and the more you can do that to, to really honestly communicate the deficits of some aspects of modern machine learning to other people, the more trust you earn, right? Cause you're, you know, I think in a lot of settings, this is the risk as machine learning professions we face, we come across as some kind of a a, a wizard almost, right? Like it's a new field, it's it's hot, it's sexy, maybe we have AI in our title, all these things, right? And the more you do to diffuse that, the more trust you earn and the more help you'll get, in my experience. Yeah, for sure.
0: And on top of that, I think there's something really important that, again it's going back to that course the product ties ml knowing what each stakeholder wants is so important and how it differs throughout the life cycle and it just reminds me when i was talking to um this guy dan whose last name i'll have to look at but he was It was one of the first meetups and he was talking about how he really missed the mark. He was spending weeks trying to just tune this model and get the, it was like, get the F1 score to like incredible amounts or the accuracy was just amazing. And then he went and he brought it to the, some other stakeholders and they were like, this does nothing for us. This is absolutely worthless. So it really shows make sure that you're solving the problem and you're doing what you like, that's where you need to communicate. The communication is huge, which we've talked about already on here and also check in with the various stakeholders. So you don't spend two weeks on a problem that ends up being useless.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that level of communication is so key and clarity, right? Um, Yeah,
1: Yeah, the only thing I'll add to that is that that just came to mind is that I find myself sitting really well and comfortably between research and production teams as uh, an MLOps practitioner, because I do need to think about both like I need to be aware of how data scientists works, how they think what their workflow is like and understand the challenges there. But I also need to think like an operations person and thinking about, okay, how is this actually going to meet our end users needs? And sitting between both of those is is very, it's hard because it's like so much stuff that you need to know, but it's where I think MLOps thrives is bridging the gap between those two things. I think I said this earlier, I, I, I look at, MLOps is, is unifying machine learning system development and operations, similar to, I guess, what DevOps did, right? Exactly what, what, what Vishnu was saying, where it's like software engineering meets machine learning. Um, and yeah, it's just, yeah, Anyways, just wanted to say that, that I think that MLOps really helps bridge, if you're a translator between research teams and production teams, is is my experience.
0: Absolutely. There was something that I was going to say just that dawned on me from when you were talking about the idea of research within mlops and it feels a little bit like what we have now are all these different companies coming out that are being that research for us or trying to push their agenda i would say like the mlops tools and they're coming from the big companies yeah it's like yeah it's a good point they're coming out of facebook or they're coming out of whatever netflix and uh, uber and they're they're saying hey this is how we've been doing it and this is how everyone should do it what i'm not sure about is like there's so many different use cases with machine learning and it's so like we talked about at the beginning with that todd the todd underwood chat that we had and how he was saying look we're we're figuring out everything with you all yeah and so it's an interesting, yeah. interesting field, interesting time. So Rosona,
1: forgive me if I'm pronouncing your name wrong, right? But she said exactly what you said the startup waves are the researchers, and it's too fast for like classical university research. I agree, it's just too, too fast. But what I think is useful is the, co- the big companies, they can afford to like fail. Like a, a Google can afford to try some new MLOps product or some tool that doesn't work out, and they can like, and we learn from that. We benefit from that. We're like, all right, that tool is cool, or it's not. It doesn't work. And I like you're saying these startups are are essentially functioning as the research. But I think we need more than that. Um, the reason why is I think we need to separate the 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 like money is very closely related to all these tooling products. And maybe if if you're just focusing on open source, I, I'm I'm talking more about like. Just like research just for research like just like to to further it you know you look at i don't know google research and microsoft research where they try crazy ideas like you know using machine learning to optimize a query was what i was uh, there was one paper about (laughs) that's a good one but yeah anyways uh it's it's that's what i'm thinking about you know like yeah i don't think classical university research makes sense it changes all the time like what the hell would you would you study but you kind of see the same thing with like data science and machine learning like I went to grad school for data science and I got to be honest I I feel like no one knows how to properly teach it Uh, most of my success and my skills have been from independent learning and so I kind of see the same thing where you're going to have to get what you get and what you need out of a lot of different places, but it'd be great if there was one place dedicated to just messing up and just trying like bad startup ideas, like just trying things just to try them. And I think we have that yeah. with these larger companies um, as they, again, they're in, they can afford that, but for other companies that can not afford messing up, like we don't got time for that. We have, we have business needs. Um, I think that, yeah it's it's up to other people to focus on that as anyways but yeah i I think that's a good one a think tank for exactly that's it that's what i'm thinking about like just something to further things and it could be completely useless like that's like the best (laughs) startup ideas i says i think some of them probably would be terrible ideas but yeah it would be great to to see more of that um and i do think that it does advance the field that's a lot of great things have come out of think tanks and research
0: all right lads this has been awesome one yeah. year later, we're still around. We're still doing it. We are going to have to say goodbye, but thank you all for listening. If you are listening in the future, give us a like and subscribe, all that fun stuff, whatever. And that's about it. We'll see you in the community Slack. Feel free to reach out to any one of us to continue this conversation. If you found anything valuable and you want to talk more about it, let us know in Slack because these points are really useful i am thoroughly surprised by the both of you just to let you know vishnu especially bam bam i i know you always bring it but vishnu wow you (laughs) blew my mind today man and i'm glad we got to do this this was something that was was a little bit more sporadic
1: yeah dude yeah it was a lot of fun we really pre Uh, yeah i I think we we already spent like the first 15 minutes doing that but guys i just want to you know my heartfelt thank you for listening to us uh for uh considering us useful uh it means the world and and we really we're we're trying to get better a lot of uh, you know uh, specifically D- dimitrios vishnu myself and ivan we're really trying to make this better um and we're we're all we have some exciting things coming up so keep you know stay tuned um and yeah thanks again for just uh, setting this up demetrius i thought this was a blast
0: yeah. yeah we'll see you all later see you guys take it easy